welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews, brought to you by 11FS. Today we're talking to Nigel Fadon, CEO and co-founder of RailsBank, and chairman and founder of Currency Cloud, the greedy sausage. <laughs> RailsBank will go live in early 2017 and serve as the glue between fintechs and banks. Onboarding a fintech into a bank is expensive due to the acquisition and compliance costs and the risks that come with different APIs. RailsBank will give banks access to the fintech world through one API. And I'm now going to hand over to Jason. Enjoy the interview. So I'm here with Nigel Verdon of Currency Cloud and of Rails Bank. Nigel, you know, most people would uh, would give an arm or at least a, a small limb in order to have been involved in one of those companies. Um, tell us a bit about your history. Seems to be an interesting mix of engineering, investment banking, and then fintech startups. Sure. Uh, yes, I did start as an engineer, did engineering at university. Uh, in fact, the co-founder of Rails Bank and I went to university together and both did engineering there. And I left uh, university and became an engineer uh, in a company called EDS. If you remember Ross Perot, the uh-huh. president, who just left the company. And and it was an v- interesting place to work, let's put it that way. A friend of mine got sent home for wearing red socks, which you shouldn't do in a suit anyway, but it was still <laughs> against policy. So I worked there for about two years, did all the training, and a, a friend of mine uh, is a very old friend uh, and is a, a business partner in the first company. He left EDS and he phoned me up and said, I've, uh, I've joined this company called Goldman Sachs. And I said, who the hell is Goldman Sachs? Goldman, he said, well, they pay you 10 times the money for the same maths you do as an engineer and explained about uh, what investment banking was about because I thought banking was about putting your card in a wall, pressing a number, magic cash comes out the wall. That was the most advanced thing I'd ever seen. So I ended up here in the city working in uh, Nimura and then Swiss Bank Hall. And so that's what got me in is uh, a complete misunderstanding of what banking was. I was at uh, Swiss, ba- uh, Swiss Bank Hall in Nimura. And what I discovered at Swiss Bank Hall was this thing called the internet which was more useful than we discovered uh, emailing a friend to your right-hand side on the trading floor, that uh, the ability to trade and do foreign exchange trades on the internet uh, and rather than over other mechanisms, because Bloomberg was quite in its infancy, uh, which is dealing with a private network, etc. Uh, this internet thing could be applied to that rather than applied to booking holidays and lastminute.com. So we were involved in this uh, project there with uh, the co-founder of Currency Cloud, Nick Warner, Clive, co-founder of uh, Rails Bank, this whole crowd at that time, uh, where we use a thing, what is today called Slack, basically, and uh, allowed Swiss Bank Corps to chat to a Yuska Bank, the FX sales guys to talk to the, 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 the dealers or the traders over in uh, Bank, but they could also put uh, research down its channel and each salesman suddenly be able to handle six conversations rather than having one conversation on the phone. So productivity went up, profitability mm. went up, etc. So that was a big eye-opener. So we founded a company called Evolution then to advise Goldman, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, Lehman Brothers, UBS or Swiss Bank was UBS now, on what to do with this thing called the internet in their capital markets businesses. So what today is called fintech, really much in the banking world, we were sort of fairly leading lights of how uh, digitization changed capital markets in the 1990s. So this is 92 on- onwards. Wow. So, so uh, you could have invented Slack 
many years before it uh, we, we it did. Grew. It looked exactly like Slack, <laughs> 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 and and it, we didn't invent it. As some of the tech guys invented it, sure. and it looked exactly like Slack does today with multiple channels uh-huh. and group channels, etc. It uh-huh. looks exactly the same thing. Except uh, it doesn't have a market cap of of <laughs> what it does today, but it was essentially exactly the same product on that. What it was is too far ahead of the curve, I think, and mm-hmm. they spun us they span us out of a UBS into a company called Palano, uh, which became a company called Mindaline. And then Mindaline was using Capital Markets as a chat system. Mm-hmm. Microsoft bought it, shut it down because they wanted everybody to use MSM Messenger mm-hmm. on Reuters. Because Watches was using MSN Messenger, so that died. And Roland, literally five six years after that, Slack appears. Mm. So well, I guess you have got IRC and all the kind of uh, yeah. the stuff that came from that. Um, interesting that came almost back around from a uh, from those early days of engineers. Yes, it was. It, it, it was an IRC based uh, platform that, uh, that the guys had developed. So there we've gone from sort of engineering into investment banking, you know, building systems there, uh, founding a company, you know, delivering end services to the to the big investment banks. What leads to Currency Cloud? Like, how does that work? I came at NED of my company uh, in 2003 and I brought another colleague in to, to run that because I was uh, approached by a colleague at Swiss Bank Corps to help them turn around the equities business in Dresden Climate. And uh, that was an interesting thing because I'd been in equity, I'd been in FX before, not in equities. So we turned that with from a 90 million loss to 120 million profit in 18 months uh, because there was previously it had been run in a fairly brain dead manner, so it's quite easy to do. Mm-hmm. And markets were going up in 2003 as well. And then became bored in 2005. And I, I bumped into a guy in the bank called Sean Park, who people know from Antimus. Uh, Sean was building this business called Digital Markets and uh, sort of knocked on his door saying, board, can I take all the electronic trading that we do in equities it reports into me, put it together, you've got the debt piece, the FX piece, and potentially we can take the uh, listed options, uh, listed futures and prime broking, let's put it all, to- all together. So we did that and between 2005 2007 built this brand and this complete uh, flow trading digital business where we had tech guys doing the trading as opposed to traders doing the trading mm-hmm. and we had PL of the we had total control of PL. we also had the IT uh, guys reporting into us and, and be able to set their bonuses there's a guy called JP Rangaswamy over at Deutsche yeah, Bank yeah. now who allowed who was part of the brains behind having that happen so the wonderful business Sean was the, the MD running it I was essentially the COO uh, beside him there and in 2007 we were all uh, essentially asked to leave the bank <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, it's all in the papers and nobody can see what, what uh-huh. happened at the time so uh, Sean founded Antimus uh, it was called Nawakas Park originally I founded Currency Cloud the reason I founded Currency Cloud was I had some uh, I, I lived between the south of France and London and I was trying to change a hundred thousand uh, sterling into euros uh, for some bits and pieces uh, mortgage basically and stuff uh-huh. And uh, the some guy come from HRFX, who I phoned up, and he was trying to charge me four percent on that. Uh, I uh, I hit the roof slightly because I said I've got six trading screens in front of me. I'll tell you what the FX rate is, but it's not it's not a four percent markup on that. So we agreed, or he escalated to a guy called Steve Lemon, who you may know at Currency Cloud, is one original team in there as well. So this guy called Steve Lemon comes on the phone. And says, right, we'll give you professionals' rates. And it was still a rip-off, but I said, I felt better, I've got professional rates. (laughs) 
So that made me think, right, I, I, I then, they then sent me an uh, email with a PDF, which I then had to print out and fax back to them. I don't have a fax machine, so I had to walk into the village uh, to find a, a place with a fax machine, pay to use a fax machine and send it back. So I thought there must be a better way of doing foreign exchange because I'm able to do 10, 20,000 trades a day in equities, which has a complex product with corporate actions, everything on them, and still make that happen with about 0.01% failure rates. And we don't have fax machines, we don't have this and the other. So let's apply that to the deliverable foreign exchange world. Mm. So we, I got uh, Nick Borner, uh, who was uh, Swiss Bank called myself and co-founder of currency of uh, Wales Bank, and Steve Lemon out of HRFX, uh-huh. still at Currency Cloud, uh, together and a few others. And uh, I said, look, we're going to have a much better brokerage, and we're going to automate the hell out of it, make it digital. Actually, the word digital didn't exist then. We make it more technical and technology-led, and we built this amazing better mousetrap, and our big issue about a better mousetrap was nobody cared about our better mousetrap. All the customers cared about was, give me a better price. Don't care about your mousetrap. Uh, price is important. Uh-huh. And that was a big discovery that in the brokerage world, because there's a trading world beforehand, uh, and the retail world, and even the corporate world, was so over-brokered that all they do is say, I just want better price. And our mousetrap, which is amazing technology, uh-huh. straight through processing, everything, which is the fundamentals of currency cloud today, uh, was proving to be no value. So we scratched our <laughs> chins for a while and thought, how do we change this? And I was in Bulgaria at an investors conference run by Antimus over, over there, and uh, seeing a colleague present on essentially telco as a platform, as a service. So mobile operator uh, baked into technology, yep. so you can take it to countries that have mobile infrastructure and switch it on, bingo, off you go. I thought, why don't we do that for foreign exchange and, and payments? So I emailed Nick and said, can you uh, get to me the currencycloud.com, thecurrencycloud.com uh, domain name, because currencycloud.com was gone. Uh-huh. And uh, we started changing into being a platform business and uh, raising capital against being a platform business. Atlas Ventures came in at, at the beginning and looking for a guy that could run that business uh, as a chief exec who built, because Mike Levin has also built uh, two firms of Sequoia Capital before, so he's been to the mill uh, a few times. And uh, let's build it into a platform business rather than a brokerage. And that was a big pivot. And people suddenly attributed value to our mousetrap. So we were very happy that we had a better mousetrap and nobody really compared about it. I need a lower price because we became a wholesaler rather than direct to market and a platform that others sat on top of. And roll it forward to today, that's that's where it is today. The the move to chairman CEO is a CEO need to be a platform CEO to be to be perfectly honest to yep. rather than myself. Uh-huh. And as a chairman, uh, Mike has taken up, understood the industry, got to place of the industry, so I can make myself redundant as an executive and uh, then uh, can do other stuff, other interesting stuff, which I still sit on the board of, of Currency Cloud. Uh, well, for what I, I worked with Orange Growth Capital, a fintech VC fund for six months, and I realised I'm not very good at the investment side. I'm much better at the operator side, and I uh-huh. much more prefer that. So I was twiddling my thumbs and sailing with my co-founder Clive 
we start talking, he's leaving a job, uh, his CIO of Bourne Leisure, 14,000 people, 900 million sterling, mm-hmm. uh, 900 million sterling turnover, privately held, which you'll know as Warner, Warner Holidays, Butlins and, and mm-hmm. stuff. He'd just taken that from analog train crash to digital uh, business and uh, was twiddling his thumbs. So we did a, the consulting gigs for small banks uh, who wanted to go digital and uh, realized there was a lot of these small banks sitting on banking licenses and banking platforms at their own core banking systems, uh, all terrified of what this world of digital would do to them. There's this fintech world which uh, needed to get banked correctly. Mm-hmm. And just the experience of myself, of uh, Tarvik, Christo, Philippe, or the whole lot of getting banked, we used to go through that when we were a good few years ago in 2000. 10, 11, so 11, 12, 13, uh, was, hasn't changed today. Mm-hmm. And it's not because banks are evil and don't want to bank it, it's because of fundamentals of the economics of banking and fintech. High risk, bank has a $2 billion fine. Fintech company does processes two transactions and these guys wind up the fine. Integrating the banks is still very difficult because the tech just ain't there for wholesale yeah. services. Retail services is an easy thing. Compliance is a major, major issue. So, Onboarding a fintech, these are some interesting things. Onboarding a fintech into a bank, the onboarding cost is about $25,000 of acquisition cost and compliance cost and risk. Tech cost is about $50,000 because each one, each bank API for the bank to host to host systems are essentially bespoke APIs per customer. So it's about fully loaded, about $100,000 to onboard a fintech who's revenueing $10,000 a year perhaps 50. So the CAC and LTV just don't add up. So Clive and I thought, let's solve that, and that's what Rails Bank essentially solves. We've developed a network of small to mid-sized banks throughout the world, a global network we're building. Those small to mid-sized banks mm-hmm. appear, will appear like Citibank. We're the glue in the middle that allows them to access the fintech world through one API. So through one API, I can access global banking and five lines of code. So think of Stripe for banking or AWS for banking. So there's, a, there's an awful lot to unpack there uh, in terms yeah. of sort of, you know, what it does, the business model. I guess from personal experience, you know, I, uh, uh, I'm i more familiar with like Wirecard, for instance, mm. that often provides that kind of banking services to, you know, everyone from Monzo and Revolut yeah. and, you know, you name it. Um, is that is that in the same kind of businesses as it's you? A, it's a similar business. Uh, Wirecard give you Europe. Uh, we essentially give the world. Okay. Plus the ability to issue IBANs in every single country is a vision uh, to be able to full range of banking products. So mm-hmm. every wholesale banking product from receiving money, sending money, access to local clearing, foreign exchange, collections, which is direct debits, uh, credit. So be able to distribute uh, wholesale credit through the fintech pipe all the way through to clearing because we clear between the banks. And then as, as we grow out, roll on three years, two years, is to add other financial services, products like insurance, etc., insure tech through uh, the pipes. So Wildcard is a good example. It's a, it's a good, good, a good product. A lot of guys sit on top of it. It sits there in, in Europe. Uh, it has uh, dollar, uh, mm-hmm. what's called it, uh, handcuffs put on by the US yeah. Fed and things. Uh, but it's, and it's old technology. And uh, when you integrate to it, you've been through the experience. It, it works, but it's not. It's not great. We, when we designed the Currency Cloud API back in 2011, we had Fedor Bank live in two weeks uh-huh. with a multi-currency wallet. 
And that's the same experience we want to deliver with Rails Bank. So very fast technology speed to market, one API to go global and do all the other products. So Wildcard was a great business of where it was. Mm. It, it trailblazed the market. Mm. And I'd say that is almost FinTech 0.5. Mm-hmm. Then you got all the transferwise currency clouds came along. But uh, we're really, the, I believe, the next stage of that. And we do essentially looking to build uh, global banking and make it look like Citibank, because all Citibank is, is a collection of legal entities around the world, highly unintegrated, mm-hmm. with a logo slapped on top, fundamentally. And that's what we want to change by giving very simple API, highly integrated, uh, consistent experience uh, for the end customer. It's all about UX. Mm-hmm. UX can be expressed in an API uh, to, to the fintech customer. So, uh, your um, are your clients regulated, or do they do they use your license? Both, uh, both okay. essentially. There's uh, some are regulated, some are not regulated, and so there's a sort of regulatory coverage model, and as a direct to the bank model. So we will onboard you to our banking partners. Mm-hmm. So you've got a direct relationship with the bank and we'll guarantee that you'll be on board in two months. So each new country you go to, to get a full range of financial products is two months. And your first pro- the first onboarding is also two months. So what, um, get that getting down to sort of concrete clients, what are the kind of businesses that, that you're perfect for? Oh, uh, Monzo when you first launched. Uh-huh. I've heard people coming to me and saying, can we build number 26 in, six, in three months? And I said, yeah, you can, but the marketing piece is what you've got to crack. Uh-huh. We can give you the product piece. Brands, uh, Virgin, for sake of argument, who sure. wants to build a bank on top of a, a, mobile, a mobile operator that wants to build a banking product. Uh-huh. Uh, a payroll company, sorry, a, uh, an accounting company or an accounting platform. Uh, that wants to go into financial services. Mm-hmm. I have great use cases, a business called Albert. I'll declare self-interest on the shareholder. That Ricky Dox of Tandem is also a main investor. Albert does expenses and, and, and invoicing for mm-hmm. freelancers. Now, there's no real money in that, and Albert knows, Evo knows that very, very well. And they're growing out to be a financial services provider for freelancers. Mm-hmm. The way you do that is sit on top of Rails Bank, as your banking back end and product back end to be able to do that in each country you want to grow to very fast. So what services do you offer? There's obviously a kind of ledger, kind of core yeah. banking stuff, but do you go into KYC, AML? Oh, sure. I'll cover the compliance piece in a sec because it's a critical piece. Okay. The services ledgers, we have a global ledger. So if you've got euros in Germany, in Australia, and Azerbaijan, uh-huh. you can write that all to one euro ledger. Our ledgers are not just a currency, they're, they're, they have an asset class and they have an asset type. So an asset class currency, you're type euro. Asset class commodity, asset type gold. So they reflect the digital world and the real uh, analog world where the bank accounts held is physically in the bank. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we sort of intermediate between the bank and the digital world. The reason we keep the value held also on our ledgers, is if the bank, the technology falls down, Barclays, as you well know, goes down pretty much every week on .NET, for example, uh, the transactions can still continue to operate because of a sort of credit relationship that uh, can make them happen. So you can still uh, have that value stored in a digital world. Once it's in a digital world, you can do all sorts of things. You can relate gold to a card, you can write gold to reward points. You can write euros to reward points. Mm-hmm. So all relatable. So it's ledgers as a core of the platform. Uh, and is that custom made or is that something? Yes, we've got that. Yeah, okay. we've got that. 
then there's the transactional pieces, and all transactional pieces are receiving money, sending money, all the general transactions you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, adding a, uh, an end user, so onboarding someone is also a transaction in our mindset. The reason I say that is the, the thing that is a sort of uniqueness is a, what we call a compliance firewall, which essentially it looks like a network firewall for, say, you don't allow packets from Australia, so from Russia, for example, because of uh, certain patterns. And you have rule sets and data that allow you to protect your network. It's the same thing for compliance, for transactional compliance. Mm. So I want to onboard a customer. Here's their profile. It says you need this documentation to maintain your compliance manual. So think of your compliance manual for the very first time codified into rule sets and data and put into a firewall type type technology. So if money is received in, if it gets fact checked against the firewall, if it complies with policy, the money is credited to the account. If it's not understood, it gets quarantined and you get people. Back to our chatbot conversation earlier, we take away 80% of the drudgery as compliance. But it's this very sing- uh, core part of the compliance side, which is the transactional pieces for sending money, receiving money, issuing cards, all that type. Mm-hmm. Advising customers, we don't, though. No because that's not our, not our piece, it's the transactional pieces that we cover. But I guess you're interested in that if there's a company trading on your license, because that's I guess that was going to be one of my, mm. one of my kind of we, core we're, questions. We're not licensed as a, we're technology provider only. Okay. Pure technology provider. We have uh, a, another company we work with who is a sandbox license holder. Okay. They're interested in that. Right. But they're, they're very much more interested in proving to the banking partner that uh, I am doing the right thing that's yes. implied with my manual. Because normally it's done as an audit event two to four times a year, sure. and it's an absolute pain. And statistically, if you're auditing it, you're always going to get errors. You're always going to be behind the curve. Whereas this is in real time, you can say, I'm a fintech guy, I'm less than three years old as a company. Uh, I'm only I'm a couple of 20 year olds have never done compliance for in their lives. And I'm now going to show Mr. Bank that I'm doing the right thing because compliance otherwise says, we don't trust you. I don't care who you are. I don't care if your your surname is like Rothschild. Sure. You're, we, don't, we don't care. This is the first time you're able to prove to them and give them audit rights in real time that I'm doing the right thing according to my compliance manual. Interesting. Yeah. So I see from the website that it, you're open for registration. Are you open with customers? Are you live? That we go live in January uh, 2017. Okay. Our first banking partner is Arkea. I'm working very, very closely with them. And that gives us ability to issue IBANs throughout Europe. We'll give us ability to issue uh, cards throughout Europe as well. Uh, very soon we'll announce our second banking partner, which will give us the UK. Mm-hmm. Our third banking partner, which will give us the Nordics. And uh, there's more announcements to come. But January 17, we'll be ready to onboard customers. We've got a, uh, uh, sort of, we've had to get our banking partners there first because mm-hmm. we've got this whole chicken and egg problem of I can't sell a fintech like Nirvana until I've got Nirvana to sell to them. So we've been working very close with the banking partners. A lot of the fintech world's coming to us uh, daily to, to say, can we have this, can we have this, can we have this? And uh, so hopefully when we launch, we'll have a bunch of happy fintech companies and be able to accelerate them fast as well. So I guess it's interesting that you know, in a world of uh, bank as a platform, that's mm. often used as a singular, with a singular yes. bank 
yep. with a platform above that then mm. you know allows you to integrate. Solaris Banks be a good example, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where it seems that you've got a network of banking partners of which then you're some sort of aggregating platform to deliver services against those sure. those banks. Because for for example, uh, the the say that we call them the Solaris Fido and others as the API banks and to some sense BPJ is looking like that these days. Mm-hmm. And they generally only have a, a limited range of product mm-hmm. on there. We don't have to have product from, we have bank accounts from that uh, that bank there, mm-hmm. a foreign exchange from that bank account, mm-hmm. that bank there. We can have lending wholesale from that there. We have one API to access that through. So you can access the full range of products that you need because the frustration of building currency cloud is bank accounts getting foreign exchange from one bank, bank accounts held in this bank, this and the other, having to build the whole aggregation there, etc. Mm-hmm. It really is an aggregation of that to give access to one API. And it's it's really it is looking like the concept of Stripe. It's very developer friendly. Mm. If you look at our APIs, they'll be very developer friendly because those are the guys who got to make productive. The value prop is quite simple. Yeah, yeah I guess with, with PSD2, we see a lot of that aggregation play at the con- between the consumer and the bank. Sure, sure. And this is interesting that it's that, it's a layer below. You know, you're oh, you're providing that aggregation layer between banking services and the fintechs that, that well, could be also finding wholesale banking services. So right. uh, Figo, uh, Played, uh, uh-huh. Yodli, et cetera. Yeah. They're providing retail bank account data and access to that for yeah. my data. Uh-huh. Uh, we're providing complete wholesale banking, so data is just one small part of it. It is if you need transactional banking services from Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, for example, we give you that. So it's wholesale banking services, as opposed to just the data side. So the the, the whole PSD two thing we also see is a Y two K problem because it sort of disappears fairly soon on that or two thousand eighteen as it is now. Uh-huh. Uh, but it is it makes our life easier to integrate to banks. Uh, as well, so because that's some of the technology pieces rather than going into MySys, onto SunGuard and all the other wonderful platforms there are. So you've been in, you've been running, you know, successful platform businesses for nine years. You know, what are the secrets? What are the keys to launching uh, and running platform businesses? A uh, good team. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everything comes down to team. Get a team. Get a, it's platform also needs experience. Uh, sort of grey hair of knowing that uh, if transactions screw up, people get upset. Uh-huh. That type of thing. Uh, and doing it slowly, surely, conservatively, and you're the plumbers. So people want to turn a tap on and get water every day and not water that's slightly infected or anything. So it's having the mindset of safety and, and stuff. So we've got to take the, yeah, we're out there, innovators, all that type of thing, but actually we're quite safety safety conscious people so getting a team that delivers that another thing is don't oversell uh, at all we did that to uh, I'll, I'll miss it quite really uh, to transferwise and stuff in the early days yeah we've got this and so we're playing catch up behind that uh-huh. I don't think you can do it in the in the platform business anymore uh, we did it because it was just innovating at that time with the first guys uh, doing that type of APIs so, and so, and quite frequently, platform businesses are seen as you know two sided. On one side, you've got you know all of the customers to yeah. to access it. On the other side, the you know what you're selling the the base yeah. infrastructure. Um, how do you manage you know a war on two fronts? You know, growing both of those at the same time, or do you start with one side? We're starting with one side, which is banks, getting yeah. there uh, on the promise that we're bringing you uh, fintech companies. Uh-huh. Essentially, we do the, the the banks are outsourcing sales to us as well. Right. 
sales and onboarding, boot camping them to onboard, yep. qualifying out whether these guys need to go into sandbox or they can go directly into the bank mm-hmm. or not. So that's that's another piece, uh, a sort of value add we do. And coming back to also platform businesses, uh, also got to understand that platform has to be reliable. Uh, we're signed up with the FCA, uh, so the AWS FCA addendum with I think the only tech provider that's not a non-bank mm-hmm. signed up with that. So all those pieces, security is a massive thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of engineering, proper engineering below the scenes. And then our UX is our API, and that's another learning thing with Currency Cloud. The UX is the API. It's not about the GUI. As a platform guy, it's all about the UX. And you can make a UX through an experience of consuming an API. You've consu- you must have consumed, for example, Bank America, Merrill Lynch's host-to-host banking APIs. Mm-hmm. Wonderful files transfers, left, right, and center. RBS is the same thing. Mm-hmm. The documentation is not there. It's changes, it's bespoke for you, and things are highly unconsumable and awful UX. Mm-hmm. It works, but it's not a good UX. I think Wildcard's pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at uh, Stripe. That's an mm-hmm. amazing UX. The documentation's there. The uh, the API is easy to consume, but consistent, upgradable. So mm-hmm. you, you don't have to worry about versioning, or you do have to worry about versioning, but you know if you're back on another version, you've still got it there. Mm-hmm. So all those pieces to put it together, those learnings, it's all about UX and API. It's a platform as well. well that's amazing. Uh, where can people find more, out more about RailsBank? Uh, go to the website, register, uh, and Twitter is uh, there's a lot of very active on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, same on LinkedIn, uh, very active on LinkedIn and publishing bits and pieces and contact us there. Find us at events, there's various things we're talking at, being at and stuff, all approachable people. Uh, all of the team are on, you can find us on Crunchbase if you need to get more profiling of who we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you go down to, we're startup in residence at Startup Bootcamp Fintech, uh, where we're sort of like the uh, how to build a startup, sort of case study type type of thing, mm-hmm. in, in there. So we're knocking around there most of the time. Come January, we'll be back and we work more gate. Come find us. Great. Well, Nigel, thanks very much. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you, Jason and Nigel. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Review us on iTunes. We love those reviews. And befriend us on Facebook and Twitter. That's all for now at Fintech Insiders. Take care.